What's up, everyone? Welcome to episode 16 of the Game Explained Real Talk podcast. Uh, I'm here today with Ash, and as you can tell, I am hosting today instead of Andre because he's really busy at the moment. He just could not find time to uh, squeeze into the podcast. That's actually wh- why we're late because we we're all just had kind of a crazy day just trying to get these uh, our schedules matched up. But uh, we're here now. We're doing it, and we we're just going to go ahead and forge ahead without him. Eh, I think we can manage, right, Ash? Uh, yeah, I and mean, when you say busy, you really just mean kind of lazing around and playing Uncharted 4, right? Right. That's what you really mean, uh-huh. Right, because he's been loving Uncharted 4, hasn't he? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. Just, go, just go to his Twitter to see how much he's been loving Uncharted oh, yeah. 4. No, it was it was hilarious. Um, the other day, he got a hold of us and was talking about Uncharted 4. He was in the uh, in Scotland. We're going to keep this as spoiler-free, of course, uh, yeah. if you haven't played Uncharted 4 yet. But one of the places you visit is Scotland, and he was just going nuts over the fact that he couldn't figure out where to go, he didn't like the layout, it just was not doing anything for him, and he's like, ugh, this is awful, why are people enjoying this? And now that he got to the next area, he I think he's having a lot more fun, but I'm not sure if it's completely changed his opinion. Yeah, he had the ambulance on speed dial there for a while. He was he was actually giving us screenshots like, where do I go? And he couldn't figure it out. And yeah. I, and I was trying to figure it out for the best that I could. But apparently what happened is that um, Sam did not load properly or right. had glitched out a little bit. So he wasn't going to where he needed to go. So he couldn't figure it out on his own, which, you know, pay attention, Andre, come on. <laughs> yeah, I mean, although I guess I guess if Sam did glitch out, it's hard to blame him too much. It does seem like it was a failing on the game's part. Yeah, it, it definitely yeah. was. But, I mean, like, there's so much going on under the hood of that game that I, I can also forgive that, because it didn't happen again. Once he reloaded, or I think he died and then reloaded and everything worked fine. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's That's the thing. I never had any... I don't think I can remember any issues that I had... Uh, in my, yeah, in my playtime with uh, Uncharted Four, and I actually, I guess, uh, I should say, I actually have beaten Uncharted Four at this moment. I was playing. I think it was Sunday. I think it was Sunday. I was uh, playing around eh, nine o'clock, ten o'clock at night, just playing around a little bit, and I got to a certain point. Um, and all of a sudden, it's like I look up, and it's like two o'clock in the morning. I'm like, I should get to bed. But I'm almost at the climax, what I thought was uh, the climax. And I'm like, uh-huh. ah, I just keep playing, and I just kept playing, and I just kept playing. By the time I finally beat the game, it was 6 a.m. <laughs> wow, so the, what, what you thought was the climax wasn't anywhere near the climax. Yeah, exactly. It was. It just kept going much farther than I expected it to, and I was enjoying it greatly because, you know, it was, it was one of those few times it's like very rarely can I think of games that make me stay up later than I intended. Like, I just have to finish this. I think the last yeah. time was... Uh, the init- the first Ace Attorney during the last um, case. Oh, that'll do it yeah. for sure. Uh, that was you know that was really intense and kept me going, but not nearly as late as this, or for as long as Un- uh, Uncharted Four did. Uh, it was just it pulled me in that much, and you still have not beaten the game yet, correct? No, sadly I haven't. I've I've actually been staying at my parents' house for the last like four days or so because some stuff going on with my family, so. I actually, and I didn't take my PS4 with me, so I'm really far behind on Uncharted 4. I'm really still only at Chapter 11. Oh, so man. So, I know, like, I, I've, I've totally, I got the day, like, five, the game, like, five days early, and now, I'm, of course, I'm lagging it because I haven't been been at home. Yeah. Um, so, I'm going to play some t- tonight and over the weekend. I don't know if I'll finish it, but I definitely will get closer. Um, and, yeah, I'm at Chapter 11, and I'm really enjoying it. Um, I, I really 
can't say too much without spoiling anything, so I, I won't spoil anything. But mm-hmm. I'm really enjoying it, and I just I continue to just be blown away by the technical wizardry on on display. Oh yeah, I mean gameplay wise, very very much is an Uncharted game. Like aside from the addition of the rope, gameplay wise, there's nothing too surprising. But you know everything surrounding the gameplay and and the visuals are just incredible. Oh and yeah, there was there was one uh, instance in Madagascar where I, I think uh, I know exactly which one you're talking about. <laughs> Uh, well, maybe I, I think you mentioned this actually in a previous podcast, and, and it I, it happened to me, and it blew me away in the moment. Which was we were driving around, and oh, yeah. Sam, Sam, and uh, and Sully were having like a conversation, like a, just an optional conversation, I guess. And I came up on something that Nate had to point out, so he interrupted them, and then after he pointed that out, Sam and Sully were like, "Oh, okay, where are we?" And they just resumed their conversation naturally, like real people. And I'm like, "Oh my god." How did that? How do they do that? Yeah, exactly. And that's something I've like. I, I think, as I mentioned last week, I would just sit still and wait for that uh, conversation to happen because I don't want to miss it because I like that little extra yeah. stuff. So yeah, it was just having that. I thought you were going to talk about continuing the visuals and a certain visual in Madagascar that is breathtaking. Um, but I don't think you've gotten that far yet. Well, I mean, I, I have finished Madagascar, so I oh, okay. So seen... yeah, the cl- oh, the I clock. think I know what you're talking about. When you're at the is clock it, tower, yeah, oh yeah, when you get up on top of it uh-huh. and then trigger those those uh, those optional conversations, those and the, well, not even just the conversations. I'm talking about just looking around. Oh yeah, from yeah, above. no, that's the vista is crazy. Yeah, and I love how you can look down and see where you've come from too. Oh yeah, you can totally see where you've walked along and what you've done, and it's 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 really cool. Like I was actually tempted for a little bit to go back and tr- collect all the uh, the journal entries I missed, all the optional conversations I missed, and the and the treasures, of course. And I was like, no, no, I'm gonna we'll save on that. I think I'm like, let's leave it at a good experience. I don't for some reason it feels wrong to go through the game and just try to get all the achievements for certain things, you know. Yeah, I agree. Although I will, that, that it does lead me to probably the only real complaint I have about the game so far is that in those open areas like uh, like Madagascar, for instance, I've noticed that if you make the if you guess wrong and you actually go where the game wants you to go before going to the optional areas, the game actually kind of very discreetly closes you off from backtracking. Yeah, no, that's which, exactly what yeah. happened, and that happened to me in one major instance. I got to this new area. All these yeah. multiple paths in this uh, later section. I'm like, oh man, this is uh, there's so much for me to check out. Okay, let's go this way. I don't think this will trigger me to do anything. <laughs> of, of course, that was the exact right path, and there was yeah. no way for me to go back and check out what I did before. Like as soon as I hit it, I'm like, oh no, like because you, you you initiated that whole thing. Like, oh, I'll lift this up so the other guy can get through. There's right. no way to to put it down when that happens. I'm like, crap. Yeah, and, and and they don't do always do the best job of, of like masking it. So like the, the the place where I'm talking about, where I tried to go back, and it's easily a wall that Nate could clear normally in, in regular gameplay. Mm-hmm. But he just you know you jump toward the wall, and he just kind of does his little short hop, like oh well I can't make that jump. And it's like yeah you can, you can make <laughs> jumps harder than that, you know. And, and when you're in regular gameplay, but so but they don't want you to backtrack, I guess because <laughs> of how you know the loading works, which makes exactly. sense. But I do wish. You could go back if you guess wrong in terms of wanting to explore the whole area your first mm-hmm. time through. But, you know, it's nothing that a, a quick replay of the chapter can't fix. Oh, yeah. It's, it's not a huge deal. It's more just for the collectibles aspect of it, which, you know, is what it is. What it is. Have you been playing anything else? Uh, I, guess you've, I guess you've been saying, saying you've been playing a lot of Bravely Second still. I've been doing, yeah, I've been doing a lot of the post-game stuff in Bravely Second. Oh. I just can't put that game down. So you actually beat it. 
finally. Yeah, yeah. And and um, I just, yeah, I've been doing a lot of the post-game stuff, and I adore that game so much. Like, that game is absolutely going to go probably on my top of the year list. It's just, it's the quintessential, like, 16-bit awesome JRPG. It's not obviously actually 16-bit, but it, it kind of recalls what it feels like to play JRPGs from that era. Mm-hmm. And it's just it's 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 the total package. It's got everything, and it does everything right. That's... And I just and 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 now I am like really really actively hoping they announce Bravely Third soon because I'm like, man, this game, even the post game, is so amazing. <laughs> and I'm like, man, I need another Bravely game. It's got to happen soon. I need to I need to play the first one and then get to that one. Uh, yeah, that's, that's it's on my to playlist. But there's a long that's a long list. <laughs> yeah, no, I hear you. Me too. Uh, but I'm trying to think otherwise what I've been up to. Uh, other than Uncharted, a lot of coverage of Pokemon. Um, uh-huh. I, I actually did a very rare thing and did three analyses of Pokemon Sun and Moon. because I did, did my initial analysis on the first day. Then I did a fan analysis, which we do on occasion. It's been a while since we've done one of those. But we did one because there was just so many ideas uh, popping around. And I did that one. And then I realized, wait a second. Okay, there's this new bit of information. That eh, make for a good update video, but then I can also go back and look at the other ideas and uh, just corrections and things like that. I'm like, all right, fine, I'll do another one. So out of that one two and a half minute video or something like that, the between the two trailers between uh, America and Japan, uh, I, I got like uh, well over fifty minutes of analysis. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's then ridiculous. I mean, and, and now on June second, they're going to do even more. Yep. So it's like it's it's not going to stop anytime soon, which is it makes sense. They're probably going to do these like little tidbit reveals all the way leading up to launch. More than likely, X and Y sort of did the same thing. So with this one, we'll probably maybe see more of the town, maybe a new feature or two, uh, definitely some new Pokemon. I'd, yeah. I'd say um, that that kind of thing. But uh, the well. But what are, what, okay. are, what, are, what are your thoughts on Sun and Moon so far? Beyond, beyond like with this new information and what they've been showing so far, I know we talked about it a little bit already. Um, well, let's see, Sun and Moon. I really I'm loving the setting. Mm-hmm. The Alola region is looking to be possibly my favorite region since. Uh, God, now of course I say that I can't remember the the, the re- various region names, but the Gen, Gen three region and the Gen five region is oh, always Ho- been my favorite. Uh, Hoenn and Unova. Yeah. And I think if I was like sitting here thinking about it, I would have come up with that fairly quickly. But in the, <laughs> in the moment, uh, so yeah, Hoenn and Unova have always been, I think, my favorite regions. And I know Hoenn is very divisive. A lot of people don't like all the water, all the sailing, you know, or surfing. I get it, but you know, I kind of like the tropical element region of, of uh, or the tropical region element of Hoenn. And it seems like Alolas can kind of do a similar thing, except with more of a you know Hawaii inspired vibe. Mm-hmm. And I'm really excited about that. I love the idea of visiting multiple different uh, islands. Um, and then as far as the Pokemon themselves are concerned, we only really know about the legendaries and the starters. Um, for sure anyway. And I've, I've said this before, I'm not crazy about this set of starters. I don't think they're the strongest designs we've had so far. Um, my favorite is Rowlet. Uh, I don't like Litten at all. I guess maybe because I'm not a cat person, but it just it, it just looks like an emo, edgy cat fire cat thing to me. I'm like, eh, not my thing. Poplio, I love water types. If I was a, if I was an actual Pokemon trainer, I would be like Misty or something because I love water types. <laughs> I don't like Poplio. I'm not feeling it. So I gotta uh, go with Rowlet. Rowlet's got a grass bow tie. Are you kidding me? He's oh come on, by far the best. Poplio is my favorite. He's adorable. I don't know what it is. I just I've just. I really like Poplio, and that's that. He's by far the least like of of yeah. all the uh, starters, and I, I don't quite get it. I get maybe it's the clown nose or something like that, but still, I just I love the little guy, and I don't know. It just 
I'm really looking forward to Poplio. I'm not having. I don't have a final decision yet because I do like to look at their evolutions and what the heck yeah. they become. That has an effect on me. Um, but Fennekin was my favorite uh, last generation. My, mine too, actually. And then when I found out that it became a fire psychic, I'm like sold. <laughs> yeah. No, Finnegan was easily my favorite last generation, which was hard for me because I typically don't really like fire types as much. Mm-hmm. I'm not a big, I don't know. So I was like, oh, I never picked the fire starter, but I guess I'm going to have to this time. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I really like Finnegan a lot. And, and uh, Del Fox, Del Fox is the final evolution, right? Is yes. that correct? Yes. Yeah. I love the way Del Fox looked. Mm-hmm. So cool. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited about Pokemon Sun and Moon. It's just a matter of, again, am I going to have time to play it when it comes out? That is a good question. Hopefully you do. Cause, yeah. You know, it's, I don't know. It's, there's something very exciting about a new generation and all the new I, Pokemon. I totally agree. I mean, I know X and Y were somewhat divisive because they didn't have a lot of post-game content, and I totally get that, but I really enjoyed X and Y. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, was, I, just, I just enjoyed the journey. Yeah, it was... It was I, it was good overall. It's definitely one of my uh, it's one of my top Pokemon games. I understand people's complaints though about lack of post game content, and the mm-hmm. bigger issue to me is the um, the uh, pacing was really off in X and Y. Like it took right. a while to get to that first gym, and then after that first gym, you had this like first two gyms. Maybe it was even just uh, just this huge lull where nothing was really happening. You weren't like spreading out the gyms, and all of a sudden, gym, that's gym, true. Gym, 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 and it was just like I don't know. Yeah. It was a very odd pace. It was um, weirdly paced. I agree. Yeah. But, um, one thing I did mention to forget that I have been up to. Um, I, I did bring my Game Boy Micro with me uh, to when I was staying with my parents for the past few days. Because I don't know if I've mentioned this on, on a podcast yet, but I was actually able to pick up a localized, like an uh, like an unofficial fan localized copy of the original Rhythm Heaven from a like a like a mom and pop game store. Nice. So it actually had its own. It had its own box art. It had its own. You know, it came on its own. You know, cartridge like GBA cartridge playable out of the box. Like it's one of those like Mother Three fan translations you'll see sometimes yeah. lying around. But it was for Rhythm Heaven, and it was only thirty bucks. And I'm like, oh my god. Are you kidding me? I can play the original Rhythm Heaven on my GBA SP or Game Boy Micro. No no muss, no fuss. Like, oh yeah, done, sold. So I got that, and I've been playing that on my Game Boy Micro, and it's Rhythm Heaven. What can I say? It's awesome. So that's definitely helped kind of bridge the, bridge the gap and, and help uh, kind of bridge the weight for uh, Rhythm Heaven Megamix. Well, see, now that now there's some of the, the stuff that you never got to play before, and Megamix isn't going to be a special. You just ruined it uh, for yourself. Yeah, but it's going to have the stereoscopic 3D, and it's going to have all the other stuff. I think I'll be fine. Yeah, if you say so. <laughs> yeah, I'm not too worried about it. But, yeah, otherwise, nothing too much on my end. It's just, you know, same old, same old. Uh, nothing that exciting. But Right. Um, anyway, uh, you guys all – are you set for the news? I believe so, yeah. All right. Well, let's go with the most insane bit of news, <laughs> which is an $80 million – Tetris movie is in development with the hopes of it becoming a trilogy. I love. I just. I love how that headline sounds. Just reading the headline, you don't even need to know the details. That headline says everything. A Tetris movie that they're viewing as a trilogy. It's got so much money behind it. I. None of this makes any sense to me. I. Yeah. I. It makes. I. I don't even know how you'd come up with a plot for Tetris. You know. I guess it could yeah. be anything. So you can do whatever you want. But it's still just Russia and falling blocks, and that's really it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I guess it's being packaged as like a sci-fi epic or like an action sci-fi epic is, is what they're saying it's going to be. And when I think that, I think maybe something you know that's maybe similar to and hopefully much better than Pixels in terms of like the, the setup, maybe 
there's some sort of like space element where these blocks come from. You know, maybe they're like extraterrestrial space. You know, blocks. I don't know. I don't know how you make a sci-fi movie out of Tetris, but I'm thinking the only way to do it is to make the blocks themselves not of you know not of Earth origin. Yeah, like maybe they're maybe they're falling from space or something, and I don't know. How are they going to do this? I, I I don't know at all. I mean, <laughs> it's 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 weird. It's, it's an international col- uh, collaboration between somebody uh, people called the American Threshold Entertainment and Chinese Seven Star Works, and now they're sort of combined together. We called Threshold Global Studios, and okay, but here's the here's the mark of quality we're looking at here, and I think this is the key part. Um, the producer. Is good. No, the director, excuse me, is Larry Kazanov, who is was the producer uh, behind the original Mortal Kombat and Mortal Kombat Annihilation, and hmm. also the producer behind Food Fight. Hmm. Have you have you heard of Food Fight? I've not heard of Food Fight. Food um, Food Fight was a uh, a movie that was designed to be Toy Story with. Food, food, uh, branded food products. So you have all these like um, uh, cereal mascots and other type of food mascots wandering around, like Charlie the Tuna or uh, Mr. Clean, oh, okay. whatnot. It sounds kind of like Sausage Party, but I guess a family friendly version of that. Yeah, yeah kind of. But it, the thing is, a lot of the real was stolen, and all oh, it was, it was mis- missing, and they had sunk all, all this money into it. So they did a cheapo version to try to recover something of it, and it took like ten years for it to release. And the animation is stilted, horrifying, and is wow. just one, considered one of the worst animated movies of all time. Oh, you, this sounds like something I would love. Oh no, you you got to check it out. I, I was exposed to it through um, John Tron. He did a review of it, and then oh, Nostalgia okay. Critic did a uh, review of it as well. And that's that's how I've watched the movie and you know, seen the movie. And it's just like you got to see it to believe it. It is unreal. But it is oh, just, I love bad movies. Like I, that I have to watch. This them. is right up your alley. <laughs> okay. Well, that, that kind of reminds me of something. I uh, I was you know Screen Junkies. Do you, do you ever watch any of their stuff like the Honest Trailers? Yeah, I bet yeah. Yeah, I, I watched the Honest Trailer of the old Captain America TV series, like seven, 1970s or 1980s, and uh-huh. that I had no idea it ever existed. And that's exactly the kind of thing you're talking about, where it is just the it's it's unbelievably ghastly bad. Like you can't even believe how bad the show is. And I'm like, okay, where other people might avoid that, I'm like, I gotta find it. I gotta find it on DVD. Whatever I can do, I have to watch all the bad TV and bad movies I can. I love just that is a, crappy, crappy like TV. Well, that's because you can just sit down there with friends and just riff, uh, riff on it. Oh yeah, it's, like like the room is one of my favorite movies ever. I the only time I, I never I've ever seen the room, uh, but I've of we're, course e, heard E3. about E3. We're doing it E3 oh, this, this year when you guys are we're, are we're, we're together. We're watching the room. Oh god, the only movie I've ever had experience with where it's a so bad you got to just watch it and riff on it type thing was in college. I was with a group of friends and I ended up watching something called. Uh, Jesus Christ Vampire Hunter. <laughs> that sounds awesome, and it was awful. Like God, like God, if like Jesus is talking to his uh, to talking to God, and God is appearing through like a pancake, and the pancake is talking, and it's just the cheapest uh, looking thing of I've ever seen at the time. Um, but it was just like, what the heck? But so maybe in that same vein. You could maybe Tetris is right down your alley, Ash. <laughs> maybe I mean it's, it's funny. I think I'd actually be a little more. I mean, I'm going to see it either way because I'm just curious as to how this this is going to shake out. But I think I'd actually be more excited if the director of the original Street Fighter movie was attached rather than the Mortal Kombat movie. Because while the Mortal Kombat movie is actually a good movie, especially for a video game movie, Street Fighter is awesome. 
to watch. It's so bad. Oh no, but it's Street Fighter so, is amazing. It's so badass, though. I love that movie. Mortal Kombat kind of holds up. Annihilation is awful. And this, yeah. remember, Kazanov is the producer of those ga- of those. True, movies, true. So uh, the director, I think, went on to do the the first Alien versus Predator. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, but yeah. It, it's just like a Tetris movie. Sure, why not? <laughs> I'm I'm in. I want to see how they go about it. But you know, uh, good or bad, I just want to see what they do with it. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, next bit of news we got is Nintendo has assured everybody because this has been a concern with how the game works is that they're not selling your info from uh, Mitomo. And uh, I, I'm not too surprised by that. Nintendo doesn't seem like the type, but it's also I can see it being a major concern because that's what that game's all about: asking you weird questions about yourself yeah. some of them kind of personal from what i've seen i've stopped playing completely but i've seen a few examples and it's just like even a couple times like i'm gonna have to go very non-specific for this because that's a really personal <laughs> yeah i mean i but i guess a, in, a lot of the things they ask are things that you know the answers have nothing to do with nintendo so i don't see how they could really use that for market research purposes like okay what is your favorite tv show or what are you watching right now well modern family okay how does that affect them in any way Whatsoever, like, how do they get anything out of that? Well, they sell it so, to the people who would be be interested in who's watching. That's true, I guess. TV if they're show. if they're in talks with all those different companies, that's true. I, I I don't know, but like you said, Nintendo. I mean, they ask you for your permission every single time. They even want to collect data about your gameplay. Mm-hmm. You know, like when you you have to opt in for most game for most Nintendo made games, you have to opt in to let your Wii U send them information about your gameplay. So yeah. this doesn't seem like something Nintendo would do, kind of secretly or under the you know. It just doesn't seem that doesn't seem like their practice. Yeah, uh, they they can be a little weird about certain things, but I don't I don't doubt their sincerity in that they're not giving out your information. Uh, when it comes well, I don't to I don't either, and, and because you know they're so, they're kind of known for being family friendly, and well, they're very known for being family friendly, and known for you know not compromising private information, especially where children are concerned. So. I think for them, even if they had ever thought about it, I think the risk there for them being found out is not worth the PR fallout. Like, it would be such a massive fallout for them. Oh, yeah. It'd because be it's what they're known for. I just don't think they would ever take that chance. No, it's not going to happen. And in, in, kind of related to that, I heard that um, Mitomo has also reached 5 million users on Android. So the game's still doing gangbusters. It's doing very well. I'm not sure how much money it's making them. Yeah. But as far as like just people playing it, it's it's definitely has it's found an audience. And I'm not that audience, but it's it's certainly found one. Yeah, it has. I mean I, I dip in once in a while to see some of my friends' answers and just, you know, mess around. I mean I do enjoy it in very short bursts, but I, I do I am curious to uh, to I would be curious to know what the I guess the attach rate for for uh in app purchases for that game is because mm-hmm. That isn't the kind. I mean, I don't, I don't spring for mobile purchases at all. But there have been mobile games where I could see myself pay, like spending money. I'm like, oh, okay, I could see why you'd want to spend money on that. Mitomo, I'm like, why? Why would I spend money on anything in this game? Especially because the game is so liberal with giving you game tickets mm-hmm. and you know other ways to get some of the premium items. So I'm curious to to know how many people are actually spending money on Mitomo. Yeah, it doesn't. Doesn't seem likely, honestly. Um, yeah. Maybe some people get into it if they really want to customize their me. Some people really enjoy that, but uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But uh, no, just not, nothing too major again. But it was just in- interesting to hear that Nintendo has come out and sort of reassured everybody. So. Uh, yeah, exactly. So yeah, again, I mean, this isn't going to this that probably won't be enough to save the 
really paranoid, you know, keyboard warriors <laughs> out there, but but yeah. I, I'm not really worried about it at all. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, next up uh, is um, something I, I did not expect whatsoever. Not maybe after the fact. Yeah, I can kind of see it, but now that it before both these games came out, I had no doubt in my mind one was going to sell more than the other, and that just did not happen. Pokémon Tournament has sold more <laughs> physical copies than Street Fighter Five. That. I, th- th- that news came out earlier in the week, and I told a few of my friends, especially my best friend who's a big Street Fighter V player, and I'm like, that blows my mind. Maybe it shouldn't because it's Pokemon, but mm-hmm. just the fact that the PS4 has an install base of like 4,000% more than the Wii U, I just feel like there's such a, mu- a much bigger potential audience for Street Fighter V, and yet all of Capcom's missteps with it, I guess, mm-hmm. you know, allowed Pokemon Tournament, even with its smaller audience, much smaller audience, it just it did really well. I mean, th- this just sounds so weird to me. Yeah, it, it's it's very strange. Pokemon Tournament, I guess, just found that base. I mean, the, the other thing is, is that this is the first real real Wii U game. I think there was like a Pokemon Rumble game that came out. Right. Other than that, this is the first Pokemon game on the Wii U. True. And it's major for that. It looks fun. It was fun. And it just, I guess, felt sort of complete for people. Uh, Street Fighter V... I think people are waiting. I think it might. I think Street Fighter Five totally has the chance of rebounding. But at I this point, too. right now, people see it as incomplete, not ready, not worth it. So they're just holding off. Now, granted, yeah. this also doesn't tie into the fact of digital game sales, which uh, you know for PC or, or and PS4 as well. So that might help it a little bit more. But according to the people that uh, were reporting this, they didn't give exact numbers. That even with those digital numbers, Pokemon Tournament. Seems to have still sold more than which is still just that's even more mind blowing. If you when you mm-hmm. need to take into take into account digital sales, it's like mm-hmm. really, yeah. So good. I mean, hey, good for Bandai Namco and you know producing a, a quality Pokemon fighting game that really has captured people's attention. Um, another thing that's really interesting to note is consider the fact that for this upcoming Evo, Nintendo has more playable games than Capcom. How really? bizarre is that? Evo, the premier fighting game tournament in the world. Nintendo has Pokémon Tournament, uh-huh. Smash rather uh, Smash Wii U and, Sm- and Smash Melee, whereas Capcom just has Street Fighter Five and Ultimate MVC Three. Really, and that's it because they they, they removed Street Fighter Four, so there's no more Ultra Street Fighter Four at Evo. That's so Nintendo crazy. actually has more fighting games than Capcom at Evo this year. That is so weird. Yeah, oh, right. Man. It's just it's it, all of this is very strange right now. <laughs> now, have you picked up Street Fighter Five yet? Or are you still waiting? I'm still waiting on one of those like crazy Amazon Fire sales because it's been going on sale for like 30 minutes at a time for like eight bucks, and I keep oh, missing wow. it. But I, I feel Boy, like it's going to happen again because it's not selling that well. So I'm just kind of waiting and biding my time because I don't, I'm oh, not going to spend 60 bucks on it at this point. No, I spent 60 bucks on it and I barely played it. So that's thing because I, I know I won't. I know I won't play it, and I figure if I get it for eight or ten or whatever bucks, it's, it's that's like fire totally sale. worth it. I can get all the DLC. It'll be you know it'll pay for itself. <laughs> So, yeah, I'm, I'm waiting, and I know I'm not going to play it very much. Like, I'm never going to be a good Street Fighter player, even though I enjoy mm-hmm. the series, so I'm in no rush to pick it up. Yeah, that's that's always sort of the thing. Is like, I want to get into Street Fighter, but I just uh, there's that barrier there that you just, like, beats me down every time. And that's why yeah. it's like, it even sucks even more so for me, because there's no other content there. It's focusing entirely on the multiplayer, and I'm like... Give yeah. me some single-player content so I have a chance to get better at the game. That's how I learn the characters and figure out who I like best, and there's nothing like that there. 
Yeah, well, and straight up, you know, when you're our age, you have to really think hard about what you're going to spend your time on and what you're really going to devote your time getting good at. And for mm-hmm. me, it's like it would come down to, okay, am I going to play Street Fighter V and try to get somewhat good, or am I going to keep playing Smash and get better or stay at least at a pretty decent level of play in a game that I enjoy more? Like, Smash is, or sorry, Street Fighter is never going to supplant Smash for me. So, <laughs> like, what's the point of spending 60 bucks on it, you know? Yeah, I can I can get that. Yeah, yeah. Like but. when push comes to shove, I'm always going to pick Smash first. So it's mm-hmm. like you know, yeah. What's the point? I, I think I, I like I said. I still think Street Fighter Five is going to recover. It's it's I totally so, going to it's going to totally recover. But I think Capcom has learned a lesson here where they just like they they obviously pushed it out to have it have it ready for Evo. Oh, that told, is, uh, told in the Capcom fighting tour, for sure. Oh, yeah. And did you hear about uh, the fact that it just recently came out via a LinkedIn page that, un- incredulously, Capcom only had one person working on Street Fighter V's netcode in the months leading up to launch? One that is person. insane. Which, which, A, explains why the net, why the netcode so, has been so shoddy, which is that's not to put anything, you know, that's not to put down the guy who worked on it. That's too no, much that's of a just job a, for one person. Exactly. Like, I that's feel bad for him. I'm sure he did the best he could. But that's not a that's not a one person job. Mm-hmm. No, you need and, a team. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, you, you'd think that for Capcom's premier fighting game, the the biggest component of which is the online community tournament aspect of it, you'd think they would devote one more than one person to working on the netcode. So mm-hmm. Capcom's whole handling of Street Fighter Five has been very strange. Yeah, I mean, it really feels like they should have put this off for a little bit longer. Yeah, because. Like, the sad, the funny thing is, the, the basic gameplay that's there is fine. It works. Yeah. It's it's good. The core gameplay is great. Yeah, it's just everything else. Just there was nothing else. It's like, it's like no, <laughs> we need yeah. more. Especially when you look at like something like more, even just Mortal Kombat X with how much just extra stuff there is. Exactly. Like like Mortal Kombat X or ten or however you say it. That that set has set the standard in my opinion. And Mortal Kombat 9 before it has oh, yeah. set the standard for single-player content in a fighting game. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. And, they, and they figured out a great way to do story modes in, in fighting games, which I'm hugely appreciative of. Uh, yeah. And, you know, it just go beyond that. So it's 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 funny. It, it's really crazy to see how mishandled Street Fighter V was, so much so that Pokémon Tournament took over it. And that's not even, yeah. that's, I mean, Pokemon, it's Pokemon, so of course it's going to do well. But the bigger the bigger thing here is that it's on Wii U. Exactly. That's, that's, where, that's the big thing, yeah. Yeah. A Wii U yeah. game outsold a PS4 game. <laughs> Which is just, especially a PS4 game with the pedigree of the, of the Street Fighter name, mm-hmm. you know? So it, it's been crazy, and... Uh, and yeah, you know, I, I think the other thing Street Fighter V has, has against going has going against it is the fact that when you take the the enthusiasts out of out of the out of the equation, the, the really com- competitive players, you're left with a general audience who not only want single player content, which the game doesn't really yet have, but they also want, you know, I, I think maybe the general layperson has been spoiled by games like Smash and even Ultra Street Fighter Four with these like, you know, Street Fighter Four had 43 characters by the time they were finished with it. Smash has 58 characters. Mm-hmm. Now, Street Fighter V, after all the announced DLCs out, is going to have 22. Yeah. Like, I think I think for lay people, it's like, well, there are these other games with all these other characters, and then Street Fighter V with this comparatively really thin roster. Not that every character isn't completely unique, like they are, and but that's, that's something that only competitive players are really going to care about. 
Yeah. It's that's another huge thing is the roster was very small and it, it's you know they're they're slowly built up. I think each year we're going to have more and more new DLC characters and slowly implement them into the game, which is huge. This is a game that's meant to grow, but their yeah. starting point needed to be much further along than it currently is. Totally, yeah. So, yeah, we'll see how that all develops. But uh, yeah. Um, well, heck, we kind of scuttled one of my news pieces here during our uh, what have been up to uh, thing where I said uh, that's true. New, new Pokemon info coming June second, but uh, you know I do have actually a related news story that I thought about that's kind of related to all the fighting game stuff we've been. Oh, mentioned. okay, go for it. Um, it. It's kind of it's somewhat minor, but uh, a new patch just came out for Smash actually for Smash Wii U and 3DS 1.1.6. And, uh, of course, those of us who are really into Smash were like, you know, we're always excited about which characters are going to get rebalanced and buffed and nerfed. This patch was only put out, literally only put out, to nerf Bayonetta. Oh so Bayonetta's gosh. wings have been clipped now, so she's not nearly as overwhelmingly... Well, some people think she's way too strong, some people don't. But either way, now her zero-to-death combos are no more, unless people discover new ones. And her wings have been completely clipped. So, But what's interesting, though, is that this patch only came out to nerf Bayonetta... And nothing else, which tells me that it's very likely that this could be the last balance patch that Smash Wii U and 3DS ever get. That would make sense to me. If they're focusing just on one character, it's just like, okay, let's get her balanced... Yeah, and then that's good. It's good enough. There, there you go. There's your final look at Smash. <laughs> right. I mean, the, the the previous patch mostly focused on Cloud, Corn, and Bayonetta, which were obviously the newest characters. And then this patch only focused on further refining and, and nerfing Bayonetta, bringing her down to the level of the rest of the cast. So mm-hmm. it kind of tells me that maybe they're done. And I have to say, if that's true, then I'm I'm okay with that. I mean, it would have been nice for Mega Man to get a few buffs, but I. Other characters needed bust more, and all in all, though, it's a really well balanced roster as it is right now. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah, which is impressive considering the amount of characters. So yeah, that's for sure, almost sixty. Yeah, exactly. Now they could still. I mean, the, the those rumors are persistent about Smash NX, you know, just being a port of the Wii U. Uh, so yeah. maybe they, we could look at that. So maybe that might be just point there. It's like, okay, let's get a balance here. Take these balances over to the NX version and go. Just worry about that for now. Don't know yeah. if that's a guarantee at all, but I could see that happening where it's like, okay, good enough for Wii U, you know? Oh, I think I think they would definitely start with the, the balancing as it is, as a starting point for Smash NX. Oh, and yeah. I'm of the mind that they're not going to really add a whole lot of new content for Smash NX. Like, I see some people saying, oh, they're going to add, like, five new characters and all the stages from the 3DS oh, no. version. I'm like, no way. We might get Ice Climbers and maybe a new stage or two. And I think that's it. Yeah. But maybe not. We'll see. I, I, that's going to be its own whole hype cycle that I'm excited about. <laughs> yeah, it'll be interesting, that's for sure. But, uh, well, the most recent news and the big news that came out today uh, is that Platonic has finally uh, stopped their sort of radio silence. It's been very, uh, you know, just permeating. Um, they just have not really said much about ukulele uh, for a long time now. And they finally brought out a bunch of stuff to talk about uh, about the game. There's just, here's all the info, you know. <laughs> As they put it themselves, they're raising the curtain. And yeah, which is kind of a relief. Yeah. I mean, I think there was a concern there, but, you know, looking at how they were doing it, and they, they moved offices, they got they tripled their the size of their um, the, uh, the pe- people working on it, and you look at these screens, and they're like sort of the screens that they're shooting for, they said themselves. So they're not exactly, you know, you don't expect them to be quite to this quality, but already you can just see, sort of see the life 
being breathed into these characters and their world. And a lot of people I've seen online doing um, comparisons like that one screen of them going after the Peiji underwater, how it's Mm -hmm. so reminiscent of Diddy's Conquest and uh, Banjo-Kazooie, how they're going after Collectible Underwater as well. Oh, yeah. And, you know, the game, they know their nostalgia. They know where they're going to enter. But it still feels like its own thing to me yet. This doesn't... this Like, you can definitely see where they're coming like where it's definitely still fitting in but it still feels like its own thing as well at least i think yeah no i think it does too um i'm really impressed by the quality of the screenshots there may be an element of bullshot going on with these two you know newly released screenshots but i do think that the game is going to look pretty close to what we're seeing in those screenshots and if so i mean i can't ask for more from a from a colorful you know 3d platformer i mean this is meant to be a genre revival uh, of games like Banjo Kazooie, and it seems like they're really nailing that aesthetic. So I'm I'm really happy. I'm just honestly relieved because I was one of those people. I was getting a little worried. I was like, not necessarily mm-hmm. completely skeptical, like, oh, this game's vaporware, it's going to suck, nothing like that. But I was just getting a little passively concerned. Like, man, they've really been quiet for a long time. I feel like this game might be circling development hell. Not in there yet, but circling it. And it seems I was wrong though. It seems like maybe it's doing okay. Yeah, I was never that concerned yet because, you know, it makes sense to me that they would just like, rather than trying to find things to show up to their uh, their backers, just like, let's knuckle down, get this done, and really make a good product. And that's, it seems like exactly what they did, which yeah. I can see why that would make people worried. But, you know, that, that doesn't seem to be the case in their case. And, and I do, I got to say, I do like their, their main villain here, this uh, capital B. And, yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, it, it's very funny to see his cane and how it looks like one of the honeycombs from Banjo-Kazooie. Like, exactly uh-huh. like one. Oh, they, they know exactly the audience they're going for here. <laughs> like, like I, I feel like Andre's going to have to love this game. He's, he's, like, obligated to love this game because he loves that aesthetic so much, like the Banjo-Kazooie aesthetic. Oh, yeah. This is totally down his alley. And they're going to be at E3, so I'm really looking forward to, like, hope. I'm really hoping we'll get to see something really cool from this game at E3, you know? Me too. Uh, just the the only real... Up. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Uh, the, the only real sticking point still for me about this game is I just do not like Laylee's design. I, I'm sorry... I can't, I can't get down with Laylee's design. I just you makes just me don't like for... animals with big noses. You don't I like Poplio. So. You don't like Laylee. Come on, what do you have against big noses? <laughs> Wait, oh, that's true. I guess you know. I think it's maybe that I'm just pining for Kazooie because Kazooie was such a fresh, fun character design. I loved how you know she she was basically a jerk, and she was she snapped at everybody. She had this great attitude. I just liked her design, and then I don't know Laylee. I, I like Yuka's design. Don't get me wrong. I think Yuka's a Yuka's a strong. 3D platformer hero design. But I just don't know about Laylee. I can't get down with it. I don't know. See, it, it's funny you talk mostly about Kazooie's personality when we don't have any idea what Laylee's personality is Well, yet. but, I, but I, feel like, I feel like Kazooie's design kind of reflected her personality. She was bright red. She was fiery. She was, you know, she, she I don't know, she just had a strong personality. And I feel like that hmm. was reflected in her design. Whereas Laylee, I'm kind of getting like a goofy kind of, kind of, I don't know, pinky kind of vibe, from him, like kind of goofy. You know what I mean? I yeah. guess maybe it could be the big nose. Maybe that's why. But he just—I'm just getting a different vibe from lately. Yeah, perhaps. But uh, you know, I've not—I've honestly grown to these characters. I mean, I'm not yeah. fully attached yet, but I'm like—I'm so used to them now that you know, I'm like, okay, yeah, let me play around with them and try see how they play. And I love how one of the main things they had in their sort of release here was just talking about 
all the collectibles. Um, you know, got a, they got a roster of shiny collectibles with gameplay progression at their core. Um, yeah. And that's I think that's the thing they're really trying to push here is like each collectible matters in some way. Right. And uh, that's I think that's that's really cool to see them take that sort of what they learned about not having just collectibles for collectibles sake and actually have them tie into the gameplay in some way. Yeah, I mean, and that's that's such an important mechanic to get down because if, if there's one thing that's satisfying in video games to a point, it's just the feeling of getting stuff, seeing stuff being pulled towards your character or just having a little sound effect jingle play when you pick up something. Like, is that something that Ratchet and Clank does incredibly well with, like, these hundreds of bolts being pulled in toward Ratchet at, at, at any given time? And it just makes you feel like, it just makes you feel good. It's like, it's that, it, it's that instant gratification that video games are so good at providing. And... That's something that 3D platformers in general do very well, and DK64 took it too far. But I think if they can if they can make each collectible really matter and and not feel like it's going too overboard, I think it's going to be an incredibly fun game. Yeah, I, I totally agree, and I actually really like like how they all tie into one another. It's like it's to me, it's a brilliant idea to have the world's access through these things called grand tomes. Like each yeah. grand tome is your is going to be your level, and the Hivery Towers is kind of like Grunty's Lair, where you're just going around and getting access to these different tomes by going through the main bad guys' lair. Uh, and then also the, how they were talking about before, like collecting these things will actually expand the levels over time, and it makes complete sense now, thanks to these pages. Of course, the world will get bigger once you add in more pages to their books. That's brilliant. Oh, totally. Yeah, I, I love that idea. Um, I, I think in, in a lot of ways, ukulele is, is shaping up to be incredibly promising. It may end up being the shovel knight of 3D platformers, to be honest. I hope so. I really yeah. do. Because, you know, I have a fondness for this this era of platformer. Uh, oh, yeah. Three, you know, 3D platformers. That's I'm, I think it's a good sign that Ratchet & Clank did so well. Uh, that that people have that yearn now for those classic 3D platformers, and so hopefully Ukulele can tap into that again, and maybe we'll start getting more more games like this again. <laughs> yeah, hey, maybe maybe the NX will finally see uh, Super Mario Galaxy three or another you know another open world esque not you know not open world but you know what I mean another explorable <laughs> 3D platformer starring Mario. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So did you back the game at all? Do you know? I did not. You know, I kept meeting to, and I just kept forgetting. So it was I right just, around I, E3, so I was like, yeah. all my money was going, getting ready for that, and by the time I was ready, it was done. So I actually missed out on it. But I was just curious yeah. if, you had, if you had, if you had uh, done enough to get access to their toy box, uh, which I talked no. a little about here, too, where it's sort of like that thing they showed off at uh, E3. They were showing off last year, where you could just run around a level and do various things and take a look at their abilities. It just greatly expanded. And uh, that looks like they're still uh, on track to try to release that in July again. Now, do you think they'll actually meet their release date? They haven't given a solid release date that re- release date date yet, and they even said themselves that if they don't feel like the quality is up to snuff, they will delay the game. Yeah, I mean, I, there's no way this game's coming out in 2016. I, I see a late 2017 game for this for a release for this game. It just seems like work on it is progressing slowly enough, and not through any fault of their own, just it's a lot of work to make a game like this, and they want to get it right. Clearly, quality is very important to them. I see a couple of delays happening, and I think this game is going to come out in, the, I'll say, the latter half of 2017. I don't believe late 2017. Late the, wait, late seems way too long. Maybe. I, oh, I, then, then I'm maybe thinking, like summer or something. Yeah, that's where I'm feeling. Like yeah. If we're going to get delayed, I think at the latest we'll get it summer of 2017, which honestly isn't a bad time. A summer release... Nobody else is really releasing anything. That's perfect timing. 
The the only way in which it could be bad timing is like what what of the Wii U version then? Like by then the Wii U is basically going to be dead. I mean it's already kind of dead, <laughs> but it's going to be fully dead by then because uh-huh. the NX will be out. So yeah. then then what? I mean unless I'm... unless there's backwards compatibility with digital Wii U titles and the NX, which would be fine. Then but if not. Well, I mean, people that happen? only have the Wii U version will likely still have their Wii U, and they just have to go with that. There's that's not that's something that's out of their hand, you know. Yeah, that's true. What's interesting is that Bloodstained is actually I think it's it's scheduled to come out the very same month the NX comes out. Oh, okay. Yeah. So so I mean there is a Wii U version of Bloodstained as well, but it's it's going to come out the same month as the NX comes out. So mm-hmm. that's interesting. I, I like the fact that a lot of these big Kickstarter games are starting to get close to their release now. We got a little bit more information on Half Genie Hero. They just put out that thing where they could decide what the design of the rival genie will be like. I'm not. I still don't know when exactly that's supposed to come out, but it feels like soonish. Uh, you know. Uh, oh, see, I think you're, compla- you're you're complaining too much. Mighty, Mighty Number no. Nine has been close to release like eight times now. So <laughs> you know, so you, you've gotten to, gotten to enjoy one of these kickstarted indie games being close to release a bunch of times over the last couple of years. <laughs> I guess that's true. <laughs> but I was just talking about how yeah, no, Action Heroes coming close, getting yeah. close. Bloodstains getting up there. Ukulele. Uh, we're getting these big titles getting close to release, and I guess. Mighty Number no. Nine as well. I just it's coming out that. June twentieth, I think June twenty second, something, like something like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a little after E3, which, uh, oh boy, is that suspect. <laughs> do, do, do you care anymore? Not really. It, did uh, you back it? Oh, yeah, I backed it. I, I, got, I yeah. think I got up to the point where I could get the the, uh, the digital soundtrack, I think is how, how far I did it. Uh, I um, kickstarted. Well, and I stupidly backed it at the $60 level, which, oof, again, which, I'm not, I, I want to own a physical ver- copy of the game, but what pisses me off is that there is a physical copy of the game on disc. That I can't get as part of my Kickstarter backing. Yeah, that's like, stupid. That's so dumb that they did that. It's like, okay, we're going to give you this reward tier because we're not going to print this game on a disc, but you want guys want a box, totally get it. Cool. Oh, guess what? We're going to print this game on a disc, but there's really you have to pay up even more money if you want to get that because you can't. We can't transfer that into the into the backing. Like mm-hmm. what? To Everything be fair. The way, about the way this is handled. Ugh. To Go be ahead. fair, this doesn't feel like a physical game. <laughs> this feels like a digital game. <laughs> True, but I just I like the idea of owning, as you know, my my games on yeah. physical media, and and I'm the know, same I way. I kind of want to. I guess I guess what I'll do is I'll probably I'll download my backer copy or whatever. I'll get my physical backer copy. You know, play the game. If it's good enough, I'll probably spring for like the Wii U physical version. But I don't know, man. I I don't know how Mighty Number no. Nine is gonna. I don't know if it's gonna impress me at this point. I don't think it can. I mean, yeah. I mean. It, it has to be mind blowing, and the game just does not look mind blowing. And you no, know, I think it'll be fine. I don't think it's going to be think, a yeah. bad game. I agree, it's going to be fine. But the production values seem crap, especially when you compare it to Ukulele. <laughs> yeah, um, and then it's just like I, I think it. I think it shows that they like KG and Afuni went in there with just just the Kickstarter in mind, not going beyond any funding. While the guys at Ukulele, uh, guys at Playtonic. You know, had funding before that, and just wanted the Kickstarter to expand upon their ideas. Yeah, and that's that makes a world of difference. And I don't know, you you really would think they'd go for a stylized look with Mighty Number no. Nine because you can make a a, a pretty good looking game pretty simply, I would assume, if you give it, give it the right style. And it's just so like it's weird, even though it's three D, it feels so flat. I agree. There's just something with the art style about this game. I, I don't know. Like, 
I just, I, Mighty Number no. Mighty Number no. Nine feels like it has really, or it had really troubled development for a lot of different reasons, and I think it's going to be a fine game, but I just, I don't think it quite shaped up to what it really needed to be. And in, you know, in the in the process of all these different delays, you know, Mega Man Legacy Collection has come and gone, and you know, it feels like Capcom is. They've already even made an, an announcement saying they're going to go back and and really make some more use of some of their more dormant IPs, of which of course includes Mega Man. So. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really feel like Mega Man is in the dire straits that he was when Mighty Number no. Nine was announced, and a big part of that, the the excitement surrounding that announcement was, yeah, man, stick it to Capcom. You know, they won't give us Mega Man, but you will. But now Capcom kind of is giving us Mega Man, and yeah. even though it was only a collection of the first six games, it doesn't really feel like Mega Man's dead anymore to me. You, you know what would be kind of hilarious? E three this year, and uh, Capcom announces a brand new Mega Man game. That would be amazing. Right that before be- Mighty Number no. Nine comes comes out, just as like screw you. Uh, uh, I didn't even forget Inafune's company, but basically just concept. Like, yeah, yeah, concept. Uh, just stick it to them right back. <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing is, I want Mighty Number no. Nine to succeed. I think we need more games like this. But oh I yeah, just- totally. But, you know, I, I think people still have a lot of attachment to the Mega Man character and just want Mega Man specifically. And now Capcom has kind of started suggesting. Yeah, we might give that to you. And then there's that animated series coming out next year, and I would be shocked if they don't have a game tie-in plan for that. Oh, yeah. So it doesn't feel like Mega Man's kind of hopeless anymore, and which kind of makes Mighty Number no. Nine's position in all this a little more tenuous. Mm-hmm. The ideal would be to have both be great and both doing well, and they sort of exactly like feed off each other and try to compete. So you know they try to get a little bit better each time. Yeah. You know? And yeah. It's like oh, they did this. Well, we got this new idea that we're doing, and that sort of thing. So. Well, we might get our chance with Red Ash or something, maybe. <laughs> I, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Boy, I do I have a hard time caring about that game. <laughs> Me too. Oh, boy. But anyway, I think that covers it for the news and a little bit else. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I got right. a little off topic there, but that's okay. And uh, I guess speaking of topics, we've, of course, got our uh, Patreon backer topics uh, that you guys can suggest each week. Uh, if, you, Of course, back our Patreon. You can... Uh, Make up, make these suggestions to us as far as topics, or and and get the the podcast three days early. But anyway, uh, let's go ahead and start off. Do you want to go first, or you would should uh, should I go first, Ash? Um, you know, I guess I'll go first because as I said before we started recording, I'm having a hard time coming up with an answer for your topic. <laughs> and I'm st- I still am. <laughs> so Tough luck. Let's, let, I'll go. Yeah, I'll go first, and and then we'll see if I can come up with anything. But okay. Um, so my my. Uh, Topic comes from uh, Mikiel Mikhail, I guess, of uh, Van Muen, or mm-hmm. Michael. Is it maybe Michael Van Muen? Um, sorry, I'm if not I sure. Corrupted your name, um, but he asks: well, While the PS Vita has a decent library of games, it's safe to say it wasn't the success Sony was hoping for. What's your opinion of the Vita, and what are your favorite Vita games? Um, so I thought this is a good question because the Vita often kind of gets hand waved away, like the Wii U does, for being a failure in the marketplace, and that's that's fair. It, they both failed in the marketplace, but like the Wii U, I think the Vita it itself is actually a great piece of hardware, and, and maybe even more so with the Vita in terms of how fun it is just to use. I mean, the Wii U is a lot of fun to use, but the Vita, the interface, it didn't need a lot of tweaking. Like, the Wii U went through so many upgrades to improve its speed, but right out of the gate, the Vita was just, it had a snappy user interface. It's a pleasure just to navigate. It's It's great to hold. Like, the Vita feels like a great handheld, and I feel like Sony really knocked it out of the park in terms of actually just holding the Vita physically and using it. Now, the marketing, they, they, they totally failed. And the game <laughs> lineup didn't do a great job. But I really feel like the Vita didn't get 
enough of a chance to shine because this, the system itself is really great and um, you know some a great some great examples of uh, fantastic games for it of course Persona 4 Golden uh, Persona 4 Dancing All Night DJ Max Technica I would even say Uncharted Golden Abyss I know a lot of people didn't like that game and it's true that they're too much too much forced uh, you know touching and swiping but the core game I thought was actually pretty good and um, you know they're I don't know. I feel like the Vita had its own lineup of pretty fantastic games, and again, like the Wii U, it just gets hand waved because simply because it was a failure at market. When there really is a lot of uh, lots to love about the Vita. Well, that's sort of what happened with the PSP as well, where it yeah. did all right out of the gate, and then the DS came out and became just a massive hit, and the PSP just didn't have as many. Uh, uh, the lineup to hold up to it, but it still had some really great titles for it, especially in the terms of RPGs. Um, and the Vita, I feel, is, is sort of the same way. The, I think the biggest issue with the Vita is that it was way too costly for the handheld market as far as developing yeah. games. Uh, because the idea with these games, and Uncharted is the poster child for this, is taking a console experience and putting it on, the th- on a handheld, yes. which is admirable. That is a really admirable like a goal, but you can't sell that handheld title for as much as you can for a full you know the 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 console title, and it, all of a sudden costs are just so much more than you know that they then companies really want to put into for something that's just not going to get as much back, especially on the Vita when it was already on its downward spiral. There was even less of an emphasis to try to do that sort of thing. And the thing is, I mostly agree with you, my friend. I didn't get a PS Vita when I first came out. Instead, my friend got one because he had gotten his, uh, I think, a PS4, and he was, he was excited about the idea of the um, uh, the uh, the remote play features. Oh, uh huh. And how he could do that sort of thing. But he also realized, like, well, not really using all that all that much. It's not really doing much for me. And he was a huge Uncharted guy as well, so he at least played that and enjoyed it. But after a while, I was just like, well, I'm done. And then when Persona 4 Dancing All Night was coming out and I was interested in reviewing it, I was like, you know what? I'll buy it off you. And mm-hmm. he, gave me the, he gave me the system and as well as this game. So I've played Golden Abyss. I've played uh, Persona 4 Dancing All Night. I have Persona 4 Golden. I have not played it yet. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, looking across Vita's lineup, there's some decent games out there. I don't really think there's anything mind-blowing for them, especially now because one of the ones I was looking at was Danganronpa, because it's sort, oh, yeah. of, it's sort of like a combination of Zero Escape and um, Ace Attorney. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, cool. And now it's that, and now those games are out on Steam. <laughs> Which, you know, the thing <laughs> yeah. is, the thing is, the Vita's value has lessened over time. I think there was a time there where it was worth having a lot of these games for and being able mm-hmm. to play a bunch of them. But now, with them realizing the Vita's kind of has been a failure, those games are popping up in other ways. So now I have I have a way to play Gravity Rush. I have a way to play both Danganronpa's. Uh, you know, all those examples. There's very little reason outside of Golden, Dancing All Night, Uncharted, a few other games to really own a Vita. And I think that's its greatest weakness. But as far as my favorite Vita game, Dancing All Night is phenomenal. I love yeah. that game. And I will say that the Vita in general is wonderful for fans of rhythm games and it just period. Mm-hmm. Because you've got Persona 4 Dancing All Night, you've got both Hatsune Miku Project Diva F titles, you've got uh, DJ Max Technica. There, there are a lot of great rhythm games for Vita. So mm-hmm. if, if you're into, you know, more alternative gaming experiences like that, the Vita can't be beat. But I do agree that it has, it probably overall has a little less staying power than the Wii U because with the Wii U, you have this library of fantastic games that literally can't be played anywhere else except now for Hyrule Warriors. 
Whereas, yeah. as you said, with PS Vita, we're seeing more and more of its previously exclusive titles show up on other systems like the PS4. So uh, I, I do agree that I feel like there maybe is a little less inherent value in the Vita these days than there is a Wii U, but I still think it's a fantastic system. And, I mean, I, I can't speak to the second incarnation with the LED screen that I guess was a little cheaper because I still own the original Vita mm-hmm. with the uh, with the OLED, the OLED screen, I should say. And it's just that screen still blows my mind to this oh, day. It's like great. I'll, I'll turn it on and even just playing Shovel Knight on it. I'm like this game pops on the OLED screen in a way that it even doesn't on my HDTV. Like there's something with that OLED display that just really makes colors just really pop. One of the best uses actually for the Vita is playing PlayStation 1 games on. I was going to say that. Yeah. That is like that is some of the best ways to play a PlayStation 1 game, especially with that. And I believe PSP games are you can play those on there yeah. as well. And so like it's actually good as a system to like just play older games on on the go. That's its best use to me, as well as a couple yeah. of exclusives. Because, and, uh, yeah, the, the library of PS1 and PSP games available for the Vita is astronomical. It's, it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. It's the best way to play them, uh, yeah. especially if you want to go on the go. So, yeah, Vita got... Sony has an issue of sticking with new ideas... If they're not doing well right out of the gate, as because they stuck yeah. with PSP, but as soon as it started dipping, that's when yeah. they cut all. That's when they started cutting ties. Yeah, yeah and I mean, yeah, yeah. It just has to stay a success, and that, or Sony will will not support it. So that's why, you know, you know, new ideas from them are sort of like you got to be a little leery of. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, but but to anyone to, to all the fans listening, I mean, if you ever come across a PS Vita for cheap at a garage sale or something, oh, totally or, pick it up or find it, yeah, to, or even on like you know Craigslist or eBay, whatever. If you can get a PS Vita for a good price, do it sight unseen. It's a great mm-hmm. system, and and don't let the fact that it's been essentially abandoned by Sony deter you. I mean, maybe don't go out and buy one at full price unless you know there are a ton of games you want to play on it already. But if you can get one for cheap, oh my god, do it. Especially the first generation, like the mm-hmm. the OLED version, is so good. I spent, I think, $90 on mine, and I think 50 to, 50 to 90 I think, is a good price for it. I, I spent I, – well, I spent nothing because my wife got it for me for my birthday, but uh, – so she paid full price, and I, I, I feel like I've gotten that value out of it, and, of course, it was really kind of her to buy it for me. But I definitely feel like I got the full value over it, out of it over the years. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, for me, it's only getting better because now, essentially, it, I, instead of calling it the PS Vita, I call it the system you can play Mega Man Legends on the go on because now <laughs> Legends 1 and 2 are available for that is Vita, true. And which Tron is Bond. huge, and Tron Bond. So that's huge that all those games now can be played on the go. No, oh, I, I know they look good. <laughs> oh, they do. I mean, I was like, I was gonna say, like, even if you compare PS One games on the PSP to how they look in the Vita, there's actually a marked difference, uh, a marked improvement on the Vita. Like, even playing games like Maverick Hunter X or Mega Man X Four, like, they look better. Mm-hmm. Uh, F Final Fantasy Seven, they all look better on the on the Vita than they do in the PSP. Oh yeah, oh great stuff. Yeah, but um, well, I think that pretty much covers your topic. Unless you have anything else to say about the Vita. No, I think it's it. All right. Well, my topic comes from Christian Hartzell, who says, in, t- in anticipation of Zero Time Dilemma's release next month, I've been replaying the previous two titles. I really need to do that, too. <laughs> uh, the puzzles have been- gotten me thinking about puzzles and video games, video games in general. 
Whether it's figuring out that you need a fish to feed Jabu Jabu, taking an owl out, an owl out of your pocket in Metal Gear 2, or some of the more traditional puzzles in Zero Escape, the puzzle is the key part of many games. All of that introduction just to ask, what were some of your pu- what were some puzzles in games that gave you a great aha moment when you solved them? And how do you define the line between a puzzle where you have to think outside the box and a puzzle that's esoteric and or unfair? Uh, really great, sh- really enjoy the show and keep them coming. So thank you very much for that. And uh, as far as like you obviously having trouble thinking of puzzles because you hate puzzles apparently. <laughs> I just I just think you know for me unless I'm unless I'm going into a game specifically for the puzzle element. For me, they break up the pacing of the game. So, like, even in, like, let's say the Uncharted series, I get that there are supposed to be puzzles built into the environment. You know, you're Nathan Drake, you're exploring all these ruins. I get it. It it makes sense. I don't begrudge the the games their puzzles. But for me, it just kind of breaks up the pacing. I guess I don't have a whole lot of patience for puzzles. (laughs) I think it's just not for me. But So that's why I'm having a hard time. But I do have at least one idea in mind that I thought about. So that's good. The... I, I don't know if I, I can't think of any specific aha moments because you know if I go into a puzzle like I love the Layton series because and that's games all puzzles uh, you know there's really great moments with that one and other times where you look at a puzzle and you're like trying to like think out the like the uh, complex math and figure it out and all of a sudden you you finally figure it out and uh, get the answer and then they say here's the simplest way that you could have done that and you're like God I'm an idiot <laughs> yeah uh, yeah that, that's that's the sort of funny parts about the, the latent series but there's other like puzzles uh that you just sort of like naturally get and you feel really good about yourself and i can't think of any off the top of my head at the moment but the thing that it sort of attracted me to this topic was how do you define the line between a puzzle where you have to think outside the box and a puzzle that's esoteric or unfair and as far as a like the biggest esoteric unfair puzzle i've ever encountered in any game uh to this day is still from uh, Zelda Phantom, uh, Phantom Hourglass. That one puzzle where you have to close the 3D, the DS and then open it up again in order to get that the map onto your onto the screen. Oh, do you okay. remember? Do you remember? I that? do remember that. Yeah, I do remember that. I and I've heard this from multiple people where you're looking at you like you you got an idea and you're like trying to figure it out and you're trying to push buttons and trying to do other things and nothing's working. There's some part of this puzzle you're just not getting. And eventually, just out of pure frustration, it's like, ah, I'm done. Close the three, close the DS, go do something else, come back to it later once you're calmed down. And then you open it up and all of a sudden, it's imprinted on the bottom screen. Yeah. And it's like, okay, that's clever, but it's just so unintuitive that I would never have yeah. thought about it naturally you know it's designed to be, make you frustrated and do that I, I really feel that way and I think yeah. that that's the worst type of puzzle where you have to just like it when it feels like you're just bashing your head against the wall with no progress those are the worst type of puzzles well I think I think the term you're looking for here and I think I think the the really defining element here is messaging I think mm-hmm. the messaging the game's messaging about the puzzle has to be sufficient so if there's no messaging and you're just kind of thrown into this puzzle with no real, you know, if the if the answer or the solution is something that the game never even made it clear that you could do, then I, I feel like that's a badly designed puzzle. Mm-hmm. And I feel like in that in that instance with Phantom Hourglass, you were given no indication like whatsoever that you would need to close the 3DS. Like maybe if there is a sign or something or some character that that kind of subtly hinted that you would need to close the 3DS, that'd be one thing. And then you figure it out, and you, you were like, oh, wait, that character did say that one thing. Okay. But there was no messaging in that sense. So 
how would you even have an inkling to do that, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I it, think that's kind of what sets it apart. Like, it's the messaging. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, you got to be, I think what makes a really good puzzle, the way you have to think outside the box, like he's like he talked about as well, is where the messaging is there, but mm-hmm. so subtle that you need to, like, that you sort of, like, you kind of get it, but then you also, like, figure out exactly what you need to do, you know? That's right. when you feel, that's when you feel your smartest, when you, there's just a little bit there, just enough that you know you need to do something, and then being able to take that little something that you, based on previous knowledge that you've gained, and solving that puzzle. That's the right. best type of puzzle to me. Yeah, I agree, and actually a good example, well, there's a good example of that. My original example, I was going to say, was um, I really like when puzzles break the fourth wall in a sense they make you kind of think about something in real life to actually uh, to find the solution in game mm-hmm. so a good example of that is the original Metal Gear Solid where you had to look at the for the Kodak radio code on the back of the of the, of the Metal Gear Solid uh, box the, mm-hmm. the, the disc case to get the Kodak uh, frequency for Merrill to to proceed in the game. Yeah, I thought like that kind of stuff, or the fact that you have to unplug your controller and plug it into the uh, the player two port to beat Psychomantis, so he won't read all your attacks. Like things like that, I think is really cool. Yeah, they they, they totally uh, fit that marking too. I think um, to a degree, Shadow of the Colossus does so well because it's not it doesn't feel like a puzzle when you're doing it because yeah. you're trying to you're just trying to beat this thing. But the the uh, whole aspect of taking down these colossi is a puzzle. And it does that very well. I, I think even I, it's been a while since I played it, but Ico did the same thing. I thought that that's was true. It did, and completely absorbed into that. So puzzles to me are like really great. It's, it's funny how you're you were talking about like your least favorite parts of Uncharted were figuring out the puzzles, and there are some later puzzles in that game where I was just in, in, in so involved, like figuring out the mysteries and all the little things. I'm like, man, I'm loving this stuff. I don't. I'm not even doing action, and I'm just sort of yeah acting the archaeologist. I'm mean, I'm really enjoying it. You know. Well, there, there's one puzzle in Uncharted that, that really, to me, stands out as an incredible example of organic puzzle design. Mm-hmm. And that was, um, it's actually toward the end of Uncharted 3. I can't remember exactly where they are, but there's this, there's a puzzle involving various wheels that have to be turned in different ways. And so, in order to know which way each cog has to be turned, you, as, as Drake, you have to climb up on the wall at the back of the room and climb across this, like, fence thing, whereas you're going across... Because of the optical illusion element of it, as you see the the, we, the cogs through like the gaps in the bars, they all move in different ways, and that tells you which way that you have to turn each one. And I think that is a really good example mm-hmm. of brilliantly organic puzzle design. It's not something that you have to guess. Everything you need to figure out the puzzle is right there in the in the room you're in, and you just have to make use of the abilities you already know you have to figure it out. Yeah. That's that's some great stuff. I mean, uh, you, you've encountered these puzzles. I thought it was really smartly done how they handled the Madagascar puzzles uh, toward mm-hmm. the end to the end of that chapter. Um, you know, you know which ones, ones I'm talking about, correct? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, do. I thought those were very smart in how they designed and how they kept building off each other, and they kind of made sure you had a little bit more of a challenge each time. Yeah, and they sort of they actually evolved the puzzle as you were going along. Right. No, I know, I know exactly what you're talking about. That's another good exa- example. And then something else I was thinking, because I have Bravely Second on the mind, um, <laughs> I, won't, I won't go too in-depth in for spoilers, but um, you know, those of you who have played Bravely Default know that the game kind of treats you, the player, as an actual character. Like They, they kind of break the fourth wall. And Bravely Second kind of does this to a degree as well. And what's interesting about Second is that you can actually replay the first four chapters really indefinitely and wonder why you're not getting anywhere 
if you're not paying attention. Like, it's fairly obvious what you need to do, mm-hmm. but you basically come to a point in Bravely Second where, because of the story reasons, you can't progress anymore. You literally have to start over. And unless you've been paying attention to what's happening in the story and what you as a player can do in the real world, you won't necessarily know how to actually get to Chapter 5 and get to the true ending of the game. Um, and literally, the game will just let you keep replaying everything you've already played over and over again unless you figure it out. And so it's kind of like a... It's not really a puzzle, I guess, because it's not that hard to figure out what you have to do. But it is a puzzle because if you don't figure it out, you're never going to get to the ending. Mm-hmm. So, and this, we're talking about like potentially replaying 40 or 50 hours here. I'm talking about like, yeah. it's, if you don't figure it out, you really are going to be wondering, well, when's something going to change? I'm back in chapter two, chapter three. Why isn't anything changing? So I feel like puzzles like that that kind of challenge you as a player like in, in, in the real world and kind of have to figure out your relationship with the game and the characters, I think stuff like that's really cool. Like puzzles mm-hmm. that break the fourth wall, I love that kind of stuff. Have, have you ever played 999 or um, Zero Escape? No, I, I've heard so many good things about it, about, really, about that whole series. I really want to. I, I've played 999 fully. I've not played, I've not finished Zero Escape. I've been meaning to go back to it since the trilogy is now complete, thanks to Zero Time Dilemma, well, once it, once it comes out. But right. 999 has puzzles that are very similar to that, where you've got to take into account things that you've learned because there are multiple endings in order to get the true ending. It's very smart about that. That's cool. I, lo- I love stuff like that. Yeah, so uh, I think that's the I, – I don't know if that's an exact answer that you were going for, Christian, but hopefully – I mean, those are the type of puzzles I like. <laughs> yeah. Now, I actually do have a question for you about this, Derek. Okay. Now, obviously, you're you're going through the Ace Attorney games right now. I've, I've already played them uh, mostly with my wife, so mm-hmm. I've already been through the games that you're playing right now. But have you ever had an issue with Ace Attorney games where you figure out – like? To you, the solution is obvious, and there are so many things, so many other ways you could get to the truth of a case other than the one they want you to use. Yeah, and it's like, yeah, it's like it kind of becomes unintuitive to a point. Yeah, I, I, I've I've encountered that once or twice, or yeah. sometimes like you know what you kind you you have an idea of what you think would lead on to the next part, and for whatever reason, that thing is just not the thing that they want in order to continue it. And it's just like... Exactly. Uh, like, I know something's off about this statement, but it's not the statement they want me to press on because of that. But yeah. then again, there's other moments where you're sort of going right along with the game. You know exactly what they want. You know exactly how to move everything on along again. When they achieve those moments, Ace Attorney is great. I totally, yeah. I mean, and to be fair, that doesn't happen that often in Ace Attorney, but I have noticed a few times where it's like, well, oh, yeah. then it just becomes a matter of pressing the, the witness on each statement just so you can figure out which one it is to advance. Yeah, exactly. That's when the whole uh, uh, safe scumming starts happening. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Uh, I, I didn't do it hardly at all in the first game, and I had to do it quite a bit in the second. And the third one, I'm trying to maintain not having to do it as much, but... I, I, I feel like the third game doesn't make you do it as much. I think it's a... Again, I mean, there's a reason that most fans feel like the second game is the worst in the series. Okay. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. It's it's interesting. But, uh, well, we have one more topic here that we both chose uh, since Andre isn't around. And this one comes from Colin Spasto, who asks, uh, Has a video game ever made you cry? If so, which game and why? Uh, the only video game that made me cry was Gears of War 3. And I'm, that's a spoiler, but... We're going to stay away from that. But Gears of yeah. War 3 made him cry. Um, yeah. So uh, that's interesting to me because I've only really played the first Gears, uh, Gears of War game. So I, didn't, I would not expect any tear-worthy <laughs> moments in Gears of War uh, considering the uh, state of that game. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
but yeah, of course, of course, games of uh, made me cry. Yeah, the uh, of course the I was young at the time, so Final Fantasy VII made me cry. Mm-hmm. Metal Gear Solid Four, actually, that last little bit there when you're uh, like, there was a couple moments toward the end, towards the ending bits of um, Metal Gear Solid Four made me cry. Uh, yeah. I at least got tears in my eyes, that sort of thing. And really, any Kingdom Hearts finale. You get that music sweeping up, and you, you yeah. see the, the emotions build up. That's like, uh like the one by far that make me cry is still uh, "Birth by Sleep" uh, when Aqua's finding out about. Oh my Sora. god, it's so good! And then when she starts crying, I start crying. Yeah, exactly. It's like, it's like come on, it's how it's can like you possibly hang on after that. These three characters have just had just crap thrown through at them throughout the entire game, and here she is finally given a sliver of hope, and yeah. she has a tear, and she's like. Damn it. <laughs> this is why yeah. I'm really excited for 2.8 and continuing on from that moment. <laughs> or building up to that moment. Me too. Whichever one. Yeah, um, I mean, I'll, I'll come out right out and say it. I'm a pretty emotional guy. And, yeah, I'm a and I kind of, Yeah, like, I mean, you know, I cry at movies. I cry, you know. I mean, I don't bawl, but, you know. But yeah, you get that, you know, I'm, you get I'm those tears. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. And I have really, you know, I, I don't get embarrassed about crying. A lot of people do, especially guys, I think. And that yeah. never bothered me. Um, so, I mean, even as young as, like you said, I think the first game I ever cried at probably was Final Fantasy VI, uh, playing it as a kid. Um, you know, the ending is just so, it's so satisfying. But even more than that, I think the the, the earliest, the, the most vivid early memory I have of a game making me cry is Chrono Trigger and just the ending because, you know, you're, I mean, it's hard to know what to spoil and what not to because I feel like the statute of limitations in Chrono Trigger has, like, run out, like, 10, 15 years ago. Yeah. But <laughs> suffice to say, the true ending is, I mean, the ending theme is one of my favorite pieces of music of all time, and t- that taken with everything else is happening, you know, all of your friends kind of going back to their own eras of time, and you're, you feel like you're at the end of this really grand adventure, and it's hard not to feel emotional about that. Um, so Chrono Trigger, for sure... Um, and a really good example, Metal Gear Solid Three. Like, oh my mm. god, that I don't. I don't know if I've ever. No, like, I, I know exactly which moment you're talking about. I, I, I kind of forgot oh, about it's it. Not, because... It's not a moment. It's like everything from the end of the final battle to the end of the credits roll. Everything like the credit song is so sad. Everything yeah. about that ending is heartbreaking. No, you just th- twist the knife over and over again. I, to a bit, but that, the, that is that one moment that sticks out with me more than any of those others. And okay. I remember, I vividly remember getting to that point where you have to do something, and I'm just <laughs> wait. I'm just like, no, yeah. no, I can't. No, screw yeah. you. I am not doing it. I'm just waiting there and just, damn you, game. And I push the button, and yeah. the sword continues, and I'm like, oh, like, I don't know if it made me cry, but it's just like got to me that much where I refused to continue until like I had to like wait a good five minutes <laughs> see for me it was less that than it was there there's a scene later on uh, and I won't go into too many details but the graveyard scene and I think you know exactly mm. what I'm talking about and that for me like like I would I'll say everything from when snake is like walking out of that meeting that you know again i don't want too many details but that yeah, yeah. to the graveyard where he does everything he does in the graveyard i was a mess yeah. like oh my god it was it was pathetic like that and uh, final fantasy 10 and 10 2 actually both got me pretty good uh again i'm sure you can figure <laughs> out why and then uh one other the one other thing i'll say is i actually beat shadow of the colossus with my best friend we were playing it together and we beat it together and anyone who's played that game knows that the ending is just absolutely just 
gut-wrenching. And yeah. so it got both of us. So here we are, like these two, you know, mid-20s guys just reduced to tears watching what's happening <laughs> on screen together. And we're like, this is the most ridiculous thing, but that's good storytelling. It's like, you know, it, again, no spoilers, but there's the ending of Shadow of the Colossus is kind of interactive where you're trying to do something and you can't. And that was like the kind of thing where I was holding on as long as I could because it was so gut-wrenching to watch what was happening on screen. Mm-hmm. And it just made me you – know, that definitely made me cry. Yeah, there's For there's sure. some moments like it's like it's built up from the gameplay that you've been doing and how you connected to the characters. Other moments where they force you, they put you into that mindset, and that's where it affects you. There's a lot of really smart ways to get you just to uh, attach to these characters and have a good cry. And I'm trying to I'm trying to think what's the most recent one that's done it to me, and it might hmm. might be Birth by Sleep. Okay, I'm, try, I'm trying to th- I'm trying to think of others that have done it to me. Yeah, you know, I'll, I'll say actually, um, uh, back when I beat it, I, I'll say uh, Bravely Second kind of got me. Oh, okay. the, the, like it didn't make me cry, but it definitely kind of you know made me a little a little like you know emotional. But I, I'd say the most recent game that really really just caused me all out just like emotional just chaos was Okami. Okami's entire mm. ending, like I would say, everything from before the final battle, and and people who've beaten it will know what I'm talking about, but. Everything like the, the final battle itself is like it happens in six stages. It takes like an hour. It's crazy. It, like it's a crazy epic finale. But there's a certain part at which you know it's very Earthbound esque, and, and all of uh, Japan comes together to pray for Amaterasu to succeed. And it's just oh my god! Mm-hmm. Like when that I happens to, and the music, oh, it's so good. I need to replay that someday because the game is fantastic and so much longer than you would expect. Oh yeah. Like it is amazing. Like each time you think it's getting close to the finale, nope. We keep going. We're going it it keep almost going. feels like three final bosses in that game. It feels like three separate chapters of one giant game. You yeah. think the game's going to end like twice before it actually ends? Yeah, uh, absolutely. It's you know, and I, I love those moments. I love when a game can get me that connected and yeah. get me to the point of tears. And yeah, maybe I get, maybe it happens to me a lot uh, more easily than other people, but I don't care. <laughs> you know? Yeah, hey, I, I welcome that. I mean, you know, there's nothing quite like a good cry, and the fact that games can elicit those kinds of emotional responses now, I think, is great. Oh yeah, absolutely. But uh, well, I think that covers it for that topic. I can't think of it. I'm trying. I'm trying to think of any others, but I can't. Like those are the those are the big ones for me. And I think I would think the biggest cry would probably have to be. Uh, Aqua, <laughs> for me. Yeah, that's that's a good one. I mean, all the Kingdom Hearts endings have gotten me one way or another, but Birth by Sleep definitely that might have affected me the most. Mm-hmm. I like I said many times before, I, I I consider that the best in the series right now. Yeah, I, although I will say Kingdom Hearts two, well, one and two though, both one and two have their own emotion. See, one has that part where Sora goes back into the cave to finish the drawing, or sorry, Kyrie goes back into the cave to finish that, the drawing. See, that was like that got me. That. I don't know if I that got, got tears from that. Really I was good. like, I, I think I had one of much more of those like chill moments, like not oh, okay. cries, but you sort of get that chill down the back of your neck. It was like, oh, yeah. And um, two was sort of like a more of a happiness type thing, not really a nothing quite to cry over. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, three five eight over two, over two days, maybe a little bit because that got pretty gut wrenching. Oh, how could I forget about that? Three five eight over two days made me cry like a baby. Oh yeah. <laughs> The ice cream scene, like, oh, that was she on? Like, as she, oh no, uh, uh-uh, uh, no, that game, that messed me up good. That that's the funny thing. That game is just padding so much, and then you get lose that final little bit when the story finally kicks in, and all of a sudden, it's just like, 
crap, I actually care about these characters now. <laughs> like, like just just the act of thinking about Roxas and thinking about Sheon just makes you want to cry because of everything they go through. Mm-hmm. Like both those characters are so. I mean, every, just nothing good happens to them. Nothing good. Mm-mm. Not one. Like bit. literally, literally, not one good thing happens to either Roxas or Sheon, and it's like those poor, poor characters. Roxas finally has some kind of. You know, you know. It's funny when you first meet Roxas; he finally gets his happy ending. It's when you see everything else about Roxas that it's all sad. Yeah, exactly. Um, I don't know if uh, Dream Drop Distance, Dream Drop Distance, uh, had me a little confused, but there were still moments where it got to me, like mm-hmm. Sora with all the people, all the other characters behind him, uh, just meeting these other characters and figuring out what the heck is going on, and then having this sort of interesting moment, like uh, the finding out the results of the. Um, of the uh, Keyblade Master test, and just that, I, I found that to be even just really cool. It's like it, I think that's the type of thing that just like uh, solidifies Sora as a great character. It, it was a great character moment for Sora because we all, I think, a lot of us would like to think that we would act the same way Sora did in that situation, but I think less than one percent of us actually. Do. Oh yeah, that's you know, sure. like we all like to think that we would be as selfless and as happy for our best friend as Sora was, but I think most of us would be like, well, damn it, I, you know, I wanted it to be me, you know. <laughs> yeah. But, so yeah. Oh, all right. Well, no, no, enough of our uh, pity party. <laughs> 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 but uh, anyway, thank you guys so so much for listening to our uh, Game Explain Real Talk pod- podcast once again. If you'd like to get this three days early, you can. Uh, back us on Patreon, uh, or you know that, that way you can get the three days early, plus offer up uh, topics like this. Um, we're trying to you know spread the love and get as many different questions as we can from as many different people as we can, and uh, just like that. Of course, it goes up Monday for everybody else. If you don't want to pay, uh, back, that's no big deal. Um, just whatever you guys feel like. We just appreciate you guys listening. So with all that said, thank you once again for joining us for episode 16 of the Game Explained Real Talk podcast, and we'll see you next week. All right, guys. Bye.